Coming up next, please join us for Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 132. Avi Ben-Mordechai here. Shalom. You're tuned in to Real Israel Talk Radio. This is podcast episode 132 and a part 19 analysis of Yeshua's last Passover week timeline of events leading to his crucifixion and his third day resurrection. In our previous analysis, podcast episode 131 and program series part 18, I walked you through events 19 through 23, events that I have identified at least for myself as part of the overall events that shaped the last week of Yeshua's earthly ministry. Let's now continue with event number 24 and speak about the divine scheduling of Yeshua's crucifixion. We know there were two calendar dates operational on the very day of Yeshua's crucifixion, the rabbinic Pharisaic calendar reckoning of the Judeans and the calendar reckoning of the priestly families of the house of the sons of Tzadok. And this is the reason why you see what appears to be a rather confusing Passover chronology in the gospel narratives, such as the chronology as you read in these statements. Luke 22.1, The feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called Passover. But then compare to John 19.31, because it was the preparation day that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. The Judeans asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. But then we compare this with John 19.14. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Judeans, Behold your king. And compare this to John 13.1. Now before the feast of Passover, when Yeshua knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father. So, with all of these statements, I would ask the question, what is going on here? Two points I want to make. Based on the calendar reckoning of the priestly families of the sons of Tzadok, in which they lived by a calendar of 360 days, plus four transitional days at the head of each new season. So, with that, Yeshua celebrated Passover with his disciples on the 14th, and then two days later, he was crucified on the 16th. Again, this is all based on Sadok calendar reckoning. Now compare this to the second point I want to make. Based on the calendar reckoning of the rabbinic Pharisaic separatists, 
who observed an intercalating 29-day and 30-day sighted moon lunar calendar, it is then understood that Yeshua was crucified on their 14th day of the month, called Aviv or Nisan. Again, it was their 14th day of the month, not the 14th day of the month based on the Tzedok calendar reckoning. Now, if Yeshua was crucified on the 14th by Pharisaic reckoning, but according to Tzedok priestly reckoning, he was crucified on the 16th, then when did Yeshua eat the Passover with his disciples? On what day was the preparation day? When was the high Sabbath day? When was the day before the Sabbath? You see, if Yeshua was not crucified on the 14th, but instead was crucified on the 16th, then could we say that he was still the Passover lamb? Well, these are all questions that need to be solved, and I'm going to do my best to bring you some reasonable answers. Now, let's start by reading in the Gospel narratives that Yeshua was referred to as Messiah, our Passover, in 1 Corinthians 5-7, and also the Lamb of Elohim, or God, in John 1-29. So let's read John 1-29. The next day, John, or Yohanan, saw Yeshua coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And 1 Corinthians 5, 7-8. through 8. For indeed, Messiah, our Passover, was sacrificed for us, referring to the crucifixion. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened of sincerity and truth. Naturally, this would imply that he was the Passover lamb of Aviv or Nisan 14, exactly as these two statements seem to tell us based on Exodus chapter 12. Since we learn from these passages that Messiah was our Passover and the biblical texts clearly state that he was the Lamb of God, we should naturally expect by theological association that he fulfilled the role of our Passover Lamb, and that his crucifixion should have been on the 14th of the first month, exactly as it is written in Exodus 12, 6, and 12.11. First, Exodus 12.6, And you shall guard him, referring to the Lamb, until the fourteenth day of the same month, referring to month number one in the Hebrew calendar. Then the whole assembly of the congregation shall kill him at twilight, which in Hebrew is Ben Harbaim, 
meaning in between the evenings. Now Exodus 12:11, And thus you shall eat him, a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat him in haste. He is Jehovah's Passover. Compare to Mark 14.12. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? Well, what's going on here? If Yeshua ate the Passover on the 14th, but he also died by crucifixion on the 14th? No, it cannot be both, which leads us to the question, was Yeshua our Passover lamb or not? I say, yes, of course he was. But what must change is our theological perspective. And I want to make three important points in all of this. Number one, Yeshua, with his disciples, celebrated and ate the Passover lamb according to Exodus chapter 12, based on the 14th of the first month. Two, Yeshua was crucified as the Passover lamb on the 16th of the first month, which is the second day of unleavened bread. Number three, Yeshua was not a Passover sin offering on the 14th, but instead was a Passover sin offering on the 16th. Now, please don't scream and bail out of here. Patiently, try to stay with me, and I'll do my best to bring it all home as I walk you through the divine scheduling of the whole crucifixion scenario. And by the end of this study, I do feel confident that you will understand the event of Yeshua's crucifixion and the scheduling of it much, much better. As far as I understand, there is nothing in Scripture telling us that the Passover lamb was a sin offering on the 14th. Of course, I admit I could be wrong. I just don't know where to find that information that the Passover lamb of the 14th was an offering for sin. The closest that I can get to this idea is once again in John 1.29. The next day, John saw Yeshua coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here, the statement tells us that Yeshua was the Lamb of God and that he was appointed to take away sin. However, his fifth day of the week crucifixion event needs to be more closely examined to answer the question, did Yeshua step into the role of a slaughtered Passover lamb for sin? 
Yes, I believe he did step into that role, clearly. However, does this mean that he had to die on the 14th of the first Chodesh, or first month, in order to accomplish this very important appointed mission? Well, I'm going to try to bring you a good, solid answer to the question. But again, before we can take this any further, let's stay focused on a known calendar conflict that existed between the separatists of the House of the Pharisees and the priestly House of Tzedok. According to the House of the Sons of Tzedok, the first day of the first month always begins on the fourth day of the week, or what we would call a Wednesday. Now, this is because of Genesis 1.14 and 1.19. Quote, Then Elohim said, Let there be luminaries in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. So then, 14 days later from this event, the Passover happens on the 14th of the first month, which will always begin with sunrise on the third day of the week, or what we would call Tuesday. This never changes, because it is calculated on the exacting movements of the daily rising and setting sun based on Genesis 1.14 and 1.19. According to the House of the Pharisaic Separatists, the first day of the first month, it fluctuates based on various agricultural rules involving a ripe barley harvest in Israel and also visual sightings of the new moon, as defined by degrees of reflected light on the moon's surface. So after the first day of the first month was determined by two witnesses, then it was a simple matter of adding 14 days to arrive at the Passover day, which can only fall on certain days of the week. It's actually quite complicated and not something that I want to get into here. So with your permission, I would actually like to continue on and you can study that detail on your own. When Yeshua observed his last Passover before his crucifixion, it was not based on the calendar reckoning of the house of the Pharisaic separatists. Rather, it was based on the house of the sons of Tzedok and their calendar reckoning system. As a result, for Yeshua and his disciples, the Passover of the 14th of the first month always fell on what we would call Tuesday, the third day of the week. Again, there has never been a change in this scenario. Yeshua and his disciples kept it that way, and to this very day, 
we should be doing the same. This is what it is. That very day, Tuesday, the 14th of the first month, Yeshua sent his disciples out to slaughter their Passover lamb in the middle of that afternoon at 1,500 hours or about 3 o'clock. This was called their preparation day. Following sunset on that Tuesday, the 14th day did not shift to the 15th, meaning after sunset, it still remained the 14th day of the first month, and it remained that way all night long until the first light of the next morning. So, beginning with sunrise and continuing through the next 12 daylight hours of Tuesday the 14th, the house of Tzadok made all their preparations. And then, at 1,500 hours or 3 o'clock on that Tuesday the 14th, they slaughtered their lambs and roasted them. After sunset, obviously, when it became dark, Yeshua and his family of disciples followed the Tzadok teaching and reclined for supper in their upper guest room to eat from the Passover lamb that they had prepared that very day. Obviously, it is deduced that Yeshua was not crucified, nor did his life come to an end on that day or even that night of Tuesday the 14th. Rather, Yeshua and his disciples celebrated freedom and a new covenant that Yeshua spoke about, as learned from Luke 22, 14 through 18. Follow along with me. Quote, When the hour had come, he reclined, and his twelve sent ones with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of him until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. When Yeshua said, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. It is well defined that sin was not yet atoned or paid for because he had not yet been crucified. The atonement that he was destined to fulfill, meaning his redemption payment for the sin of the world, that was yet to come two days later on the 16th day of the first month, which was the fifth day of the week, or what we would call Thursday afternoon at 1500 hours or about three o'clock in the afternoon. That would have been the second day of unleavened bread. And that upcoming Thursday afternoon the 16th day would be according to the Tzadok 
calendar reckoning, which was the day when the Passover lambs of the nation were brought into the temple and slaughtered by the Jerusalem priests. However, according to their calendar, they referred to that day as the 14th of the month, which was, of course, two days late for their divine appointment. What I'm saying is, in reality, the house of the Pharisaic separatists and the Jerusalem temple priesthood and, in fact, the entire nation was convinced to slaughter their Passover lambs according to their calendar reckoning, that of the Pharisaic separatists. And this is precisely why we read in John 19.14, Now it was the preparation day, or the slaughtering day, of the Passover. That was the day when Yeshua was crucified. Once more, this was the Judean preparation day when all of the nation came to the temple to kill and roast their lambs because they were told that day, Thursday, was the 14th of the first month. Well, although the nation believed the Pharisees that their preparation day was the 14th on that Thursday, and eating of the Passover lamb was on the 15th on that Thursday, this is what all the people believed, as they were told. So it was, in fact, for them, not the 14th, nor even the 15th. Rather, it was already the 16th by the calendar reckoning of the house of Sadok. So, as usual, the Pharisees, the Jerusalem temple priests, and the nation appeared to be very late for their divine appointment with Jehovah. The house of the Pharisee separatists and the Jerusalem temple priests had a very strict passed-down tradition to reject any teaching coming from the house of the sons of Tzedek. And therefore, the religious leadership in Jerusalem was considered to be in rebellion against Jehovah as they led the whole nation into a kind of religious insurrection. It had been this way for nearly 150 years. Well, that's a very, very long time to stay in national rebellion. Nonetheless, we learn from Yeshua about cause and effect and who bears the greater sin when this kind of thing is happening. Let's turn to Matthew 18, 6 through 7. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come. But woe to that man by whom the offense comes. And also hear these words from Yeshua in response to Pilate's questioning of Yeshua. Matthew 19, 
10 through 11. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. We learn that the sins of the nation were seemingly attached to the nation because of the total depravity and corruption of the nation's religious leadership. At this point, we need to take a brief break, but I will return in a moment to continue where I've left off here in this study. Stay with me. This is Avi ben Mordechai, and you are listening to Real Israel Talk Radio. Welcome back to the second half of Real Israel Talk Radio. This is episode 132. Here is your host, Avi ben Mordechai. Let's now continue where we left off just before the break. We learn that the sins of the nation were seemingly attached to the nation because of the total depravity and corruption of the nation's religious leadership. In other words, the religious leadership was responsible for the misinformation going out to the people. The national sin of Judaism at that time and yes, even in our own time, was and continues to remain being stubborn about observing one's own times and dates for the appointed festivals or the Moedim, which are called divine appointments. Said differently, the sins of the nation go much, much deeper into the heart. As the prophet Isaiah spoke, in the name of Jehovah. Look at Isaiah 29, 13 through 15. Therefore, Jehovah said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandments of men, therefore, behold, I will again do a wonderful work among this people, a wonderful work and a wonderful, for the wisdom of their wise shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent shall be hidden. Woe to those who seek deep to hide their counsel far from Jehovah, and their works are in the dark." They say, who sees us and who knows us? In fact, Yeshua went on to elaborate about the condition of the spirit of the nation and its national religious corruptions. Quoting Isaiah, Yeshua said their corruption was a product of their heart. We read about it in Mark 7, 5 through 9. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, 
but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, and then he quotes Isaiah 29, 13. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, Yeshua goes on to say, You hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep or safeguard your tradition. When Yeshua said, quote, And many other such things you do, do you think that he had something particular in mind? Well, I think he did have something very specific and additional in mind based on the systemic national idolatry that was evident among the religious leaders. He knew that they embezzled the authority to rule over all Israel, and that authority never belonged to them when they violently snatched it away from the rightful title holders to that national and judicial power. As we learn from Ezekiel 44, 15 through 16, and Ezekiel 44, 23 through 24. Now, this reading is abridged for time. But the priests and the Levites from the house of Sadok, who kept charge of my sanctuary when the children or sons of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near me to minister to me or to serve me. They shall stand before me to offer to me the fat and the blood, says Adonai, the master Jehovah. They shall enter my sanctuary, and they shall come near my table to serve me, and they shall keep my charge, and they shall teach my people between the holy and the unholy, and cause them to understand between the unclean and the clean. In controversy, they shall stand as judges and judge according to my judgments. They shall safeguard my laws, my statutes, in all my appointed meetings, and they shall hallow my Sabbaths. The Sabbaths being referred to here include Jehovah's appointed meetings or his Moedim, not just the seventh-day weekly Sabbath. Now go to Malachi chapter 2, verses 7 through 8. Read along with me. For the lips of a Kohen, obviously of the house of Tzedok in those days, should safeguard knowledge and people should seek the Torah or the law from his mouth. For he is the angel or messenger of Jehovah Tzavot. 
but you have departed or exited from the way. You have caused many to stumble in the Torah. Now, in all of Scripture, there are volumes of additional references dealing with this type of total national depravity of conscience and corruption, which amounts to nothing more than idolatry, as it was said long ago by the prophet Shmuel or Samuel. Take a look at 1 Samuel 15, 22-23. Samuel said, Has Jehovah delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of Jehovah? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, to shema, or listen, than the fat of rams. For rebellion is the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is iniquity and idolatry. Much later on, the prophet Isaiah spoke boldly and, in the name of Jehovah, warned the religious leadership, saying in Isaiah 1, 10-18, Hear the word of Jehovah, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the Torah of our Elohim. You people of Gomorrah, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says Jehovah? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I don't delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. That would be the Moed. Your new moons and your appointed festivals my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many, many prayers. I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your actions from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, Defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says Jehovah. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Centuries later, following these words and after the ministry of Yeshua, Shaul, or Paul, came forth boldly and spoke in the following manner, saying in 1 Timothy 1, 3-11, Charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies 
which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they are saying nor the things in which they affirm. But we know that the Torah is good if one uses it according to the Torah, knowing this, that the Torah is not made for a just or righteous person, but for lawlessness and insubordinate, for ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed Elohim, which was committed to my trust. In retrospect, and armed with this historical knowledge, let us now return back to my earlier question. Did Yeshua step into the role of a slaughtered Passover lamb for the sins, rebellion, corruption, and idolatry of the nation, and in fact, of the world? My answer, yes, he did step into that role clearly. However, does this mean that he stepped into this role on Passover, the 14th of the first month, in order to accomplish his very important appointed mission or job of dying for the sins of the world? No. But Yeshua did, in fact, safeguard and observe the Passover exactly, precisely as Moses wrote it all down in Exodus chapters 12 and 13 as to what to do and how to do it according to the Torah. Now, the question to ask is this. According to what calendar schedule did Yeshua fulfill his divine purpose by dying for the nation? My answer, he had to die for the nation and for the world, not on the Passover of the 14th, but rather on the 16th of the first month, which means he had to die for the nation on the second day of unleavened bread, based on the Tzedok 364-day solar calendar reckoning system. And this is really important, because in context, it brings to mind the whole reason and purpose and story behind the birth of John the Immerser or John the Baptist, who was the son of Zechariah from the house and the sons of Tzadok. This is according to Luke chapter 1, 
verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain Cohen or priest named Zechariah of the division of Aviah. This is important information because there were 24 divisions of priestly families related to the house of Tzedok by the word of Jehovah, and it's written about in 1 Chronicles 24.3. Then David, with Tzedok of the sons of Eleazar, and Ahimelech of the sons of Itamar, divided them, referring to the division of the Kohanim among the Levites, according to the schedule of their service. Yes, there were 24 divisions that were of the house of Tzedok. So we continue to read about Zechariah in Luke 1, 5 through 17. Let's take a look together. Zechariah's wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name is Elisheva, or Elizabeth, and they were both righteous or just before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of Jehovah blameless. But they had no child because Elisheva was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as Cohen, that is, a house of Tzedok Cohen, in the order of his division, which happened to be the eighth division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the house or the temple of Jehovah. The whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel or messenger of Jehovah appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw, well, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the messenger or angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard. And your wife, Elisheva, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Yohanan, or John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of Jehovah, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb." And he will turn many of the sons of Israel to Jehovah, their Elohim. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah or Eliyahu. Then a quote is given from Malachi chapter 4. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just one, meaning the tzaddik, or the righteous one, to make ready a people prepared for Jehovah. Much later on, we learn about Zechariah's son, Yohanan, and his role 
as a son of the Tzadok priesthood from his father, Zechariah. Yochanan was raised up by Yehovah and came in the spirit and power of Eliyahu to call the nation and its religious leadership to repentance and to invite them back to the will of Yehovah concerning believing in the teacher of righteousness and the just one, that is, Messiah Yeshua. And this is quite evident from John 1.29. Again, the next day, John saw Yeshua coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Again, the question to ask, according to what calendar schedule did Yeshua fulfill his divine purpose by dying for the nation? He had to die for the nation and for the world, not on the Passover of the 14th, but rather on the second day of unleavened bread, based on the Tzedok 364-day solar calendar reckoning system from the house and the sons of Tzedok. We learn from Luke 22.1. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near, which is called Passover. In other words, the seven-day festival of unleavened bread is included in the slaughter the roasting, and the eating of the Passover lamb. And together, both festivals, Passover and unleavened bread, run for a total of eight days. Said another way, the Passover preparation day and the eating of the lamb that very night is the first day of Passover. Then, This is followed by seven additional days specifically dedicated to the festival of matzah, or unleavened bread. Therefore, it looks like this. Number one, the first day of Passover is Passover preparation day when the Passover lamb is slaughtered, then it is roasted, and then it is eaten that very night. The first day includes all of these events of slaughtering, of roasting, and of eating the Passover lamb with matzah, or unleavened bread, that very night. See Exodus twelve eighteen. Point two. The second day of Passover begins with the first day of unleavened bread. You can see Exodus 12, 19 through 20. The third day of Passover is the second day of unleavened bread, and we'll come back to this in a moment. The fourth day of Passover is the third day of matzah. The fifth day of Passover is the fourth day of matzah so forth and so on, until you get to the eighth day of Passover, which would then be the seventh day of matzah. So, based on all of this, 
Let us go on to speak of the second day of matzah, or unleavened bread, which is also the third day of Passover. Or perhaps it could be said, the third day of the Passover week. Chronologically, by the calendar reckoning of the house and the sons of Tzadok, Yeshua's last two days leading to his crucifixion looks something like this. Number one, Tuesday, the 14th of the first month, in the middle of the afternoon of the Passover preparation day at three o'clock by Sadok calendar reckoning, Yeshua's disciples' Passover lamb was slaughtered. Thus, he said to his disciples in Luke 22.8, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. Number two, Tuesday the 14th at sunset, Yeshua and his disciples gathered and reclined in an upper guest room, which was likely in the priestly Essene quarter of Jerusalem to celebrate and eat their Passover on the 14th. So it is written in Luke 22:14. When the hour had come, he reclined, and the twelve apostles or sent ones with him. Normally, my podcasts run with two 25-minute segments for a total of 50 running minutes. However, Due to the detailed content of this particular study about the Passover and Yeshua's crucifixion, I have made a decision to extend my talk longer than usual so that all of the information that I'm presenting here will flow uninterrupted to its logical conclusion. So if you have the time and the patience, Continue to follow along with me as I continue in this study. This is Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 132. Here is your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Okay, let's continue on with our study as we discuss the crucifixion of Yeshua on the second day of unleavened bread, which is according to the Tzedok calendar reckoning system, the 16th of the first Chodesh, or the first month. Point three, Wednesday, the 15th of the first month, at sunrise, which now was the first day of matzah or unleavened bread, and also the second day of Passover, by Tzedok calendar reckoning. Yeshua was brought to trial before the Jerusalem Sanhedrin and judged guilty of blaspheming the name of Yehovah and sentenced to death. Those who were the enemies of Yeshua, they had to complete the trial of Yeshua that very day, Wednesday, before sunset, which is why John Mark writes in Mark 14, one through two, and the chief priests and the scribes said, not during the festival, 
meaning Wednesday sunset to Thursday sunset, lest there be an uproar of the people. So the Sanhedrin's one-day delay of Yeshua's sentencing was done legally, by the book, so to speak, according to Mishnah Sanhedrin 4, section 1. The court was required to delay their judgment until the next morning, Thursday morning, which was the day of their Passover preparation day. That's why John Mark writes in John 19.14, Now it was the preparation day of the Passover. That's based on the Judean sighted moon reckoning calendar. And at about the sixth hour, which is then according to Roman reckoning, where a day starts at midnight, and he, referring to Pilate, said to the gathered Judeans, Behold your king. This brings me now to my fourth point. Thursday morning, the 16th of the first month, at sunrise. This is now the second day of matzah, or unleavened bread, by Sadok calendar reckoning, not Judean reckoning. So this second day of matzah would also be understood as the third day of Passover, or if you wish, the third day of the Passover week. Yeshua was brought for his second appearance before Pontius Pilatus. That very morning, between about 0600 and 0900 hours, or 9 o'clock, Yeshua was paraded through the streets of Jerusalem. By 0900 hours, or 9 o'clock in the morning, he was already nailed to his Roman crucifixion tree. We learn this from Mark 15:25. Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him. Now let's go to my point number five. Thursday, it's still the 16th of the first month. It's now midday, which was still the second day of matzah, or unleavened bread, and also the third day of the Passover week by Tzedok calendar reckoning, what happened? The sun was darkened at midday, and it remained dark until 1,500 hours or 3 o'clock, which was now 6 hours into his crucifixion. Yeshua spoke his final words and breathed his last. We learn about this in Luke 23, 44-46. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple, or the house, was torn in two. And when Yeshua cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, or from Hebrew, into your hands I deposit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now let me go to my sixth point in this story. It's still Thursday the 16th, 
but it's sunset, which was still the second day of matzah, or unleavened bread, and still the third day of Passover, or the Passover week. Unlike the Judeans, where their day shifts one day forward to the next day at sunset, the body was removed from his Roman execution tree and buried in a new tomb owned by a secret believer, Yosef of Arimathea. We learn this from Mark 15, 42-43. Now when evening had come meaning Thursday sunset, because it was the preparation day, referring to that Thursday, that is, the day before the Sabbath, meaning the day before the high Sabbath festival of the first day of unleavened bread on their Judean calendar, which would have been Friday, the sixth day of the week. So this is Thursday, sunset the day before Friday. Yosef of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went in to Pilate and asked for the body of Yeshua. As the storyline is written, that day was the Judean national Pharisaic preparation day, Thursday and it was quickly approaching sunset, which meant that at sunset on that Thursday, their day shifted from the 14th to the 15th by their calendar reckoning, which was for them the beginning of the high Sabbath festival of matzah or unleavened bread on the sixth day of the week. And they didn't want to break the Torah by leaving Yeshua hanging on that tree all night long, as it is forbidden to do so, according to the Torah, in Deuteronomy 21, 22-23. If a man has committed a sin deserving of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain overnight on the tree." but you shall surely bury him that day so that you do not defile the land which Jehovah your Elohim is giving you as an inheritance. He who is hanged is accursed of God or of Elohim. All told, Yeshua's crucifixion was on the 16th of the first month, which was the second day of Matzah, or the second day of unleavened bread, but only according to the Tzedok calendar reckoning, which was also the third day of the Passover. Okay, by now you might be saying to me, Avi, okay, okay, we got it. Yeshua was crucified on the 16th, which was the second day of matzah or unleavened bread, and not on the 14th, the first day of Passover. Now that this has been repeated by you multiple times over and over and over and over again, you might be thinking, okay, already, get to your point. Thank you. Thank you very much. I will. To fully appreciate this divine scheduling of Yeshua's crucifixion on the 16th, meaning the second day of Passover, I want to take you over to 2 Chronicles 
chapters 29 and 30. Of course, there is a lot to read and understand from within this context, and I don't have the time to read the entire two chapters for you here on this podcast. Consequently, I'm asking you to read it on your own and to read it all very carefully. However, permit me to select a few short sections of the narrative and therefore boil it down to its core instruction. Let's start with 2 Chronicles 29, 1-2. Yizkiyahu, or Hezekiah, became king at 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Aviah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of Jehovah, according to all that his father David had done. By the way, notice the connection of Hezekiah's mother, whose name was Aviah, the daughter of Zechariah. Notice that and compare it to Luke chapter 1, Zechariah, who is of the division of Aviah, the house of Tzedok Kohanim, and he has a son, Yochanan or John. Just something a little extra to think about. So now let's go on and continue with the story, as it is written in Second Chronicles 29, 3-11. In the first year of his reign, in the first month of that year, he opened the doors of the house of Jehovah and repaired them. Then he brought in the Kohanim, the Kohanim were priests of the house and sons of Tzadok in his day, and the Levites, and gathered them in the east square. And he said to them, Hear me, Levites, or Levim, now sanctify yourselves Sanctify the house of Jehovah, the Elohim of your fathers, and carry out the rubbish, meaning carry out all that spiritual trash from the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of Jehovah, our Elohim. They have forsaken him having turned their faces away from the dwelling place of Jehovah, and turned their backs on him. They have also shut up the doors of the porch, put out the lamps, and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the El of Israel. Therefore, the wrath of Jehovah fell upon Yehuda and Jerusalem, and he has given them up to trouble, to desolation, and to jeering, as you see with your eyes. For indeed, because of this, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons, our daughters, and our wives are in captivity. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with Jehovah, the Elohim of Israel, that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent now, for Jehovah has chosen you, that is the 
Levitical sons of Sadok, to stand before him, to serve him, and that you should serve him and burn incense. Again, this is all from Second Chronicles 29, 3-11. Now, from this we learn the following. A. It was the first year of Hezekiah's reign. It was the first month of the new year. Based on Exodus 12, verse 1. B. Over many years, the house of Jehovah that King Solomon built in Jerusalem, it had become a religious shrine of corruption and was filled with idolatry. C. Hezekiah gathered all the sons of Tzedok from the families of Aaron and put them to work cleaning out or purifying all of the decades of spiritual idolatry that had been collected in the temple or in the house. This is why Jehovah speaks through Isaiah and says that they were trampling his courts, bringing in all that wickedness and spiritual idolatry. Next, we learn this from Second Chronicles 29, 15-16. This is a very, very important reading. Follow along with me. And they, the sons of the house of Tzedok, according to King Hezekiah's command, gathered their brethren, sanctified themselves, and went in according to the commandment of the king at the words of Jehovah to cleanse or purify spiritually the house of Jehovah. Then the Kohanim, or the priests, went into the inner room of the house of Jehovah to cleanse or purify with a spiritual purification and brought out all of the idolatrous trash that they found in the house of Jehovah. And they brought it all out to the court of the house of Jehovah. And the Levites took out all of the uh, idols and all of that gathered spiritual trash. What did they do? They carried it to the brook Kidron. And you can see some of that in Second Kings chapter 23 with King Josiah. Let's go on. Now they began to sanctify, that is, they began to make the house or the temple separate and holy on the first day of the first month. And on the eighth day of the month, they came to the vestibule, which means the area between the porch and the altar of Jehovah. What happened then? The text says, they sanctified the house of Jehovah in eight days. And on the 16th day of the first month, they finished. In other words, they finished cleansing the house on the second day of unleavened bread. So here we learn the following. Number one, the house of the sons of Tzedok 
the rightful Kohanim or priests of Jehovah's house gathered to fulfill King Hezekiah's command to purify the house of Jehovah by removing all of the idolatry of previous generations. Point number two, the Sadok family of Kohanim did their purification process over the course of eight days. Point three, the Sadok family of Kohanim completed their purification process of the house on the 16th day of the first month, which was the second day of unleavened bread. The next thing we read from all of this comes from Second Chronicles 29.18. Then they went into King Hezekiah and said, We have cleansed all the house of Jehovah, the altar of burnt offerings, with all its articles, and the table of the lechem hapanim, or what is called the showbread, with all its articles. In response, King Hezekiah and the Kohanim families went up to the house of Jehovah. And then, according to Second Chronicles 29, 21-24, we read this. They brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, and seven male goats for a sin offering for the kingdom, for the sanctuary, and for Judah. Then he commanded the Kohanim, the sons of Aaron, that is the sons of the house of Tzedok, to offer on the altar of Jehovah. So they killed the bulls, and the Kohanim received the blood and sprinkled on the altar. Likewise, they killed the rams and sprinkled the blood on the altar. They also killed the lambs and sprinkled the blood on the altar. And they presented their blood on the altar as a sin offering to make atonement for all Israel. For the king commanded the burnt offering and the sin offering for all Israel. Based on this story about the spiritual purification and cleansing of the house of Jehovah on the 16th of the first month, that is, on the second day of matzah or unleavened bread, this is the very same day when Yeshua, our high priest of Jehovah, was crucified and died on the hill Olivet, overlooking the brook Kidron, facing the Jerusalem temple to the west. This is precisely what Yeshua completed for the world, for us, even as the house of the sons of Tzedok completed the same thing for all of the house of Israel in their day. Yeshua had to die according to an exacting schedule of temple cleansing and purification in order to fulfill his mission or his job as the nation's Passover sin offering and to accomplish atonement 
for the entire nation and for the world, that is, an offering or a payment covering on the 16th of the first month, meaning on the second day of matzah or unleavened bread, just like the sons of Sadok did in their day. Interestingly, this is precisely what we learn from the words of Jerusalem's illegitimate high priest, Caiaphas, in John eleven forty nine through 53 Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, referring to all of the elders of the Sanhedrin gathered together in their trial of Yeshua, you know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish. Now, this he did not say on his own, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Yeshua would die for the nation, and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the sons of God who were scattered abroad. Then from that day on, they plotted to put him to death. Okay, let's briefly revisit the works of King Hezekiah and learn about his spiritual cleansing and purification program done in the house of Jehovah by the house and sons of Tzadok as it is written. Second Chronicles 29.16 So, they sanctified the house of Jehovah in eight days, and on the sixteenth of the first month they finished, meaning that they finished their cleansing and purification process of the house on the sixteenth of the first month. In the same way, Yeshua breathed his last and plainly echoed the same words on the 16th of the first month at 1,500 hours or about 3 o'clock in the afternoon of that Thursday, saying in John 19.30, it is finished. Just like Second Chronicles 29.16, when the house of Tzadok said, we have finished. With these words, it is finished, Yeshua further brought the prophecy of Daniel 9.24 to its completion. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in eternal righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most Holy. So the storyline from Second Chronicles chapters 29 through 30 involves two important points. One, the purification and cleansing of the house of Jehovah corresponds with Paul's lesson that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit of Jehovah, or if you will, we are the house of for the Spirit of Jehovah 
in 2 Corinthians 6.19. And so he had to clean us out from all of our impurity and all of our corruption of the heart. So in 1 Corinthians 6.19, Paul writes, Or do you not know that your body is the temple or the house of the Holy Spirit in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? That's because we were bought with a price, the price of Yeshua. Point number two, transforming an unclean heart into a clean heart in the washing by the water of the word. Paul wrote about this in Ephesians 5, 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. This is what Yeshua was alluding to in John 15, 2 through 3. He said, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean, or ritually pure, because of the word which I have spoken to you. This said, we can say with absolute certainty that Yeshua was, in fact, the Passover lamb that Yohanan or John, a priest of the house of Tzedok, spoke about when he said concerning Yeshua in John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, not on the 14th of the first month, but on the 16th of the first month, which was the second day of unleavened bread. The 14th day of the first month was dedicated to the announcement of the new covenant. But the 16th of the month was dedicated to the removing of all of the impurities of our heart from the house of Jehovah, and we are that house. Therefore, we find confirmation of all of this in the written words of the new covenant. Hebrews 9.26 But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the offering or sacrifice of himself, that is, on the second day of unleavened bread. Hebrews 9.28 So Messiah was offered once to bear the sins of many. Again, on the second day of unleavened bread. To those who eagerly wait for him, which is a reference to the last day great resurrection, he will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. 1 John 2, 1-2 And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Yeshua HaMashiach, the just one or the righteous one. And he himself is the propitiation or the payment for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Again, 
based on his death on the second day of unleavened bread, the cleansing day of the 16th of the first month, by the house of Sadok Kohanim. And finally, 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4. Paul says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Messiah died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, referring to the second death in Revelation chapter 20, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, referring back to the red heifer of Numbers chapter 19. So if I understand all of this correctly, the purification or cleansing process that Yeshua accomplished for us with his crucifixion on the second day of unleavened bread, the 16th, and resurrection on the fourth day of unleavened bread, the 18th of the first month, is that he descended into the lower world of the earth, and there it took him three days and three nights in the heart of the earth to complete his cleansing and purification mission for the whole house of Jehovah, and that included not only them in their day, but us even in our own day, because we too are the house of Jehovah. So now, let us go on to briefly discuss the idea of three days and three nights. Based on the teachings of the Kohanim of the sons of Tzadok, which is from their understanding of Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, a day is defined as a composite of both days and nights between one sunrise and the next sunrise. In other words, three days and three nights is not about an exact number of hours or a complete number of days involving 12 hours of daylight and 12 hours of nighttime. This is not how the house of the sons of Tzadok understood the passing of days and times, seasons and years in Scripture. Remember, the house of Tzadok, or the sons of Tzadok, through the line of Aaron, they were given the rightful teaching authority to exercise teaching and judgment over the whole house of Israel, according to Ezekiel 44, 23-24. But about 175 years before Yeshua, that authority was violently snatched away from them, which gave birth to a new political and religious party in Judea. We know them as the Purushim, or the Pharisees. And as we clearly know, the winners in a conflict always write the history. Consequently, Genesis 1, 3-5, and Genesis 1, 14-17, all of that has been 
reinterpreted based on Pharisaic teaching. But Pharisaic teaching does not have the authority because it doesn't belong to them. It belongs to the house of Sadoc, of which John the Immerser or John the Baptist was one of those sons of Sadoc, based on his father and mother's lineage. And so Yeshua supported that. And so our objective is to pay attention to that and do as Yeshua taught. And remember that Yeshua was the winner in this whole conflict through his death, burial, and resurrection. As a result, our interpretations of Scripture should be coming from the winner in that conflict. And the winner in that conflict was and is Yeshua. So as we interpret Scripture, we must remember the house of Tzedok and the teaching authority that they had. For them, three days and three nights refer to the composite time frame that is from one sunrise to the next sunrise, counted three times, which is based on the Tzedok calendar reckoning system that a day always begins with the rising sun. Therefore, Yeshua's crucifixion time frame looks like this. Day one, a sunrise to sunrise composite of day and night, beginning with the 16th of the month, referring to the second day of unleavened bread. Day two, a sunrise to sunrise composite of day and night, continuing into the 17th of the month, referring to the third day of unleavened bread. Day three, a sunrise to sunrise composite of day and night on the 18th of the month, but in this case, referring to the fourth day of unleavened bread. Yeshua's visit to earth's lower world encompassed a composite day and night on the 16th, the 17th, and the 18th of the first month. Then, with the first light or dawn of the 18th, it then shifted over to the 19th day of the first month, which would have been the first day of the week or Sunday. And that is when Yeshua appeared to Miriam and the other women. And we'll talk more about this on the next podcast. Through our association with Yeshua, as our Passover lamb, beginning on the 14th day of the first month, which was the first day of Passover, and then continuing on into the 16th day of the month, entering into his second day of Matzah, and then finally, being raised into new life through him, referring to the fourth day of unleavened bread. We become a new creation in Messiah. And in fact, our new inner man is much like a new lump of unleavened bread offered to Jehovah without corruption and without sin. 
This is why Shaul or Paul would go on to write in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 through 8, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Messiah, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us safeguard or do the festival of Passover, which means the one day of Passover and the seven days of Matzah, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the matzah of sincerity and truth. So this is precisely why we should be doing the Passover and the seven days of matzah. This festival is our memorial and a reminder that Yeshua cleansed us and purified us just like the sons of Sadok did way back in Hezekiah's day on the 16th of the first month, when he set in motion Yehovah's redemption clause that grants each of us an exit or an escape from the law of sin and death in Adam or in man, which has only one destiny, based on Genesis 2.17 and Revelation 20, and that is divine judgment. Yeshua paid for our freedom with his life. Therefore, in becoming purified and cleansed in his name, then we are written into the Lamb's book of life. We are indeed declared free men, which is why we come to recline at the Passover table to remember that in Yeshua, we are indeed free men and women through the Messiah. That is the finished cleansing, purification work of Messiah in our house, which is why we can be the temple of the Holy Spirit. In the next episode of this series, we're going to look at the details surrounding Yeshua's resurrection. Thank you much for listening. This concludes our analysis of Event 24 with the fifth day of the week crucifixion of Yeshua, which was the second day of unleavened bread and also the third day of Passover. I'm Avi ben Mordechai, and you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio. Real Israel Talk Radio.